So Hebrews chapter 12, uh, as we jump into that, like I said, I'll break it down. The writer of Hebrews combined two themes in this chapter, and it was athletics and citizenship. So the writer uses the illustration of a race in verses 1 through 13, because you see both the Greeks and the Romans were very interested in athletics and athletic competition and contests, not only because of their physical well-being, but it honored their towns and countries. It was patriotic to be a good athlete and to win and to bring glory back to your country. Very similar to today, right? We have the Olympics, same thing, right? Worldwide Olympics, you're in a gold medal for your country, all that. It was very similar in Bible times as well. So he first starts out with the illustration of athletics. And then in the second part of Hebrews 12, verses 14 through 29, uh, he uses the citizenship of, of, of the heavenly city, our heavenly home. Because once again, we read it, this is not our permanent home, amen? We all have addresses, some of us own property, but this is not where we permanently reside. We're just passing through, saints, amen? We have a heavenly home, we're citizens of heaven. So in the minds of his readers, this is interesting. The two themes would go together, because you could not take part in official games of athletics unless you were a citizen of that nation. Right? Same today. You can't, you can't go compete for the U.S. in the Olympics unless you're an American citizen or of any country. Isn't that right? So, and you'll see sometimes, uh, not especially like in basketball, just think about it. There's a lot of, a lot of guys that play in the NBA that are from all different countries. They'll play for an NBA team in America, but when the Olympics come, they'll go play for their country in the Olympics, right? Because they're still citizens of that country, right? So one theme that runs through all of the chapter is endurance. See, the Jewish believers, again, as who were receiving this letter uh, from the writer who's unknown for Hebrews, were getting weary, and they wanted to give up. But the writer was encouraging them to keep moving forward in their journey with the Lord like a runner that was running a race down a track. So he, he pointed out in chapter uh, 12 three different divine resources that encouraged a Christian to keep going in difficult situations. As Matt just said, these situations we go through, difficult situations here, personally, relationally, physically, emotionally, they're worldwide, as Matt saw, right? Every country we've gone to, when we lay hands on people, they're dealing with some of the same things, some of the same issues that they're, they're because they're still human beings, right? And they, they deal with the same stuff. And so this writer was telling them to endure through this difficult situation. So as I mentioned, we'll split it up, uh, part one and part two, basically. So let's first start out. I'm going to look at two of these divine resources this week and then the last one uh, next week. And it's pretty lengthy next week. That's why I decided to break it up. So let's look at the first divine resource that we have. And he encourages, number one, to look at the examples of endurance by others. Look at the example of endurance by others. Let's read it, Hebrews 12, 1 and 4. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great, a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, some of your translations might say great uh, cloud of witnesses, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Some translations say the author and finisher of our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, and you'll, you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in the struggle against sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Again, Lord, thank you. Your word is awesome, powerful, living and true, sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you, Lord God, for 
the endurance that you give us and the examples of faith, Lord God, that you give us in your word, Lord, through Hebrews 11. And of course, uh, you are the greatest example, Lord Jesus. So as we look into this, as I preach this, Holy Spirit, help me, Lord God, to rightly divide the word of truth. Help us to all receive it and give us the grace, Holy Spirit, to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, when you were a kid, maybe when you were in athletics, uh, or if you have children uh, and, and they start out in athletics and they're very, they're very young, uh, uh, trying to uh, begin some some type of sport. Uh, most of the time, kids are not confident. Some are. Some seem like they pop out the womb very confident. Some kids are not. Some kids are are like, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I'm strong enough, fast enough. You know, maybe you had a coach or you've heard coaches that may use several techniques to get them to do their best. Or maybe a coach did this for you. Coach may have said things like, hey, other students have done it. You can do it too. Or they may say something like, just think of what this training and this sport's going to do for you physically. My wife has told our girls that all three of our girls are in athletics and, and just talked about the physical benefits of even besides practicing games, you know, or, or our youngest cheers, you know, to, to exercise and work out the physical benefits that it will bring you. Uh, and they, they may also say, hey, watch other kids and see how they do it. If you're not sure how to do it, watch them. They can be an example. Well, really, these three approaches is what is, are used in this paragraph here to encourage us in our Christian race. So first, we are encouraged to look at the winners. Amen. There's, there's, there's winners of the faith, so to speak. Hebrews 12, 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Now, the great cloud of witnesses, or assembly of witnesses, is what we looked at last week. That's what we call the hall of faith, right? He's, he's referring to those back in Hebrews chapter 11. We went through all of them. We looked at them last week. And that's what he's saying. Hey, look at these men and women. Look how they did it. They endured and man, they won. Of course, we know as we looked at the end, it's not everybody won. Not everybody, you know, well, not everybody won in the natural. They all still won. Let me clarify. We talked about that. They all still got God's divine approval, right? And so they still got their heavenly reward. Again, God still ultimately rewarded them. But he said, hey, look at these that we just talked about. Again, it doesn't mean, uh, by the way, that uh, uh, this cloud of witnesses is not like spectators in a stadium that are witnessing what we're doing. The word witness does not mean spectator. We get our English word martyr, which comes directly from the Greek word translated witness. And that's what he's talking about. He's saying this. These people are not witnessing what we're doing. They're bearing witness to us that God will see us through. That's what it means by a cloud of witnesses. They're a witness to us. They're, they're a witness for us. When we read Hebrews 11, when we read all of the Bible, and I'm going to get into that in a minute, Old Testament and New Testament, how many times we talk about the Apostle Paul and the different apostles or some of these that we read about last week, it, it's a witness to us like, man, God saw them through and he's going to do the same for us. It's going to help us to endure. And some of us, we're going to get great breakthrough and, and miracles. We'll see things that happen on mission fields and right here at the altar and hopefully at your job tomorrow. All right, school next week. And yes, kids that are going back to school, God can do a miracle in your school. Come on. You may think there ain't nothing good that can come out of my school, but it can. Amen. Some people I've talked to, and I just know in general, hardly read the Old Testament, except maybe for the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs. I want to encourage you this morning. If you're not reading through the Old Testament, you're sharting yourself. 
you're missing out on a lot of great things in the Old Testament. And, and, and the Bible makes it clear. I talked about the Apostle Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians, we've looked at it, types, shadows, right, different things. But specifically, as we're talking about endurance, look again what the Apostle Paul says here in Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So that through endurance, the encouragement of scriptures, and remember when he's writing this, the scriptures were the only that was the Old Testament. Through the, inter- the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope and overflow with confidence in his promises. One of the ways we develop endurance and encouragement is to get to know the godly men and women of the Old and the New Testament. And that's again why it's so important to be so familiar with the word of God. With your Bible, it's not just for Bible knowledge, it's to help you to endure through the hardest moments of your life. Through the most difficult points of your life that you never thought you would ever have to walk through, the, 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 the New Testament writers, the Apostle Paul, the writer of Hebrews, is encouraging us, look back at these great men and women of God. Look how they endured. It's going to help you to endure. If you're having problems with your family, read about Joseph. If you, you think about, you know, you think your job maybe or your calling God's called you to is too big for you, study the life of Moses. If you're tempted to retaliate, see how David handled his situation with Saul. There's so many, and that's just, that's just Old Testament. There's so much. I mean, there's so many stories, and they're not just stories. Even when people say, oh, my favorite Bible character, they're not characters. They're real-life human beings that walk this earth like me and you, amen? Right? They're figures that, that walk this life and live this, this life, not just so we can, we can have Bible knowledge and, and have, you know, Sunday school or, or, or you know, uh, children's church stories. Uh, no, man, these things are to help us to endure every single day. As I pray, the Word of God is living and true. It's still alive and actively working in our lives today. Come on, saints, can I get an amen? Now, before the writer moved on to the next part, about how we endure by the examples. There was a group, and then there's, there's obviously one other person that he tells us to focus on. He also stops and says, hey, you need to look at yourself. In other, in other words, really what he was saying, this is, this is my interpretation, this is not the Greek. He was saying you need to check yourself. That's what he was saying. Hebrews 12.1, it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance. The race that God, I love that, God has set before us. There's a race we're on that the Lord has put us on. There's a track we're running. There should be a track that you're running on that the Lord has put you on. Amen? So listen, even back then, athletes would train with heavy weights, like like runners. They would strap some kind of weights on it. And you've seen it today. Some of you in here, you might do it. If that's you, God bless you. But you see it like you see videos where these guys strap these weights that they're dragging as they're trying to run. They're dragging big old plates or big weights, sleds, whatever you call them. Another good illustration may be, uh, you know, for those of you to play baseball, softball, is when you put the, 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 the metal collar, we called it a donut. I don't know what it's really called. You know, we call it a donut on a bat, right? And a batter warms up with that, with that metal ring on there and it helps them. But no batter would get up to bat with that donut still on their bat. Right? No, no person who runs a marathon that trains with, they use weight ankles and all that. Nobody would get in there with those weights on them, right? And that's what he was saying. They trained similar. He was like, so hey, strip off that weight, right? Get, get anything off of you that, that, that's going to hinder you, right? No athlete would do that. So what are the weights? What should we remove to help us to run the race? 
Well, I could sit here till 2 o'clock this afternoon and he'd probably give you a list. But really, because there's two different things. He says the weights, then the sin. We're not even to sin yet. So weights is anything that can hinder your progress. See, weights are good for training. Weights aren't good when you're running. So some things that are even good for you can hinder your process in this race of life. Right? So they might even be good things in the eyes of you and even others. But a winning athlete does not choose between good and bad. He chooses between better and best. And, and, and the, the, the believer should do the same thing. Well, this is okay. This is not sin. It's okay to do. Yeah, it may be okay to do, but is it going to help you accomplish what God has called you to do? Is it going to help you to be the best man and woman of God you're called to be? The best husband and father, the best mother and wife, the best whatever, whatever you do, what God's called you to do, is it going to help you to be the best? You know, I remember after the Saints uh, won their Super Bowl, Drew Brees wrote a book, and I, I read the book. And, you know, he was talking about, if, if some of you know Drew Brees' story, he played for the San Diego Chargers first in the NFL, and, and he shredded his shoulders. There was a fumble. He dove into the pot to get the ball, and he, he shredded, like rotator cuff, ligaments. I mean, I remember he basically said his whole shoulder was shredded. And it was as throwing arm as that. So he got the best doctor you know, in the country to, to repair it. And it was a very, very low percentage that he would even be able to play, more or less play at such a high level. But he was determined uh, that, that he was going to get back. And when he did, he said he went ahead and he took a, he did everything that he could to re- get him to recover. And what he did was he took even a food allergy test to find out if he was allergic to any foods. And one of the things that the test came back and said was that he was allergic to nuts. And he never knew it. He said, man, I would walk through the house and grab a handful of nuts multiple times a day and eat nuts. And I didn't even know I was allergic to them. They didn't make me feel bad. I didn't get a headache or anything. But because that test said that he was allergic to nuts, something that wasn't even affecting him that he knew about that tasted good, he stopped doing. So he can be the best at what he was doing. And uh, if you know the history of uh, following any football, turned out pretty well for him, right? Won a Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP. I think he's won some league MVP, set all kind of records, uh, and, and he know he's going to eventually be in the Hall of Fame, right? So easy to tell that situation as a Saints fan, but amen? And so you Cowboy fans, you just got to sit through that one, all right? I'm just going to say it, so. All right. All right, I'll move on now. I'll move on. I love you. I love you. You're a Cowboys fan. I still love you, right? We're all at different places in our sanctification process, okay? So I, I still love you. You're still a brother and a, and a, and a, and a sister, okay? No, but seriously, what a great illustration. I'm just picking. What a great illustration though, right? He, what he was doing was not, he didn't think it was bad for him. And it was, it was nuts. It was pistachios, things that we think are good. But it didn't, he was willing to get rid of it to be his best. So that's the picture here. That's a modern day picture of what the writer is saying. Strip off the weight. Some things could be good at a season of your life. But it, it the season of training is good for these weights. But when you're actually competing, it's not good anymore. So we got to, and what those things are, listen, it could be a, a multitude of things. You need to pray about it. Let people speak into your life and say, man, this may seem good and it may be okay, but it's not the best, right? So you need to pray. I'm hoping as I'm even saying that, the Holy Spirit may be showing you some things. And then, of course, he goes on to, we should also get rid of the sin that so easily trips us up. Or some translations say that entangles us. Now, obviously, we know anything that the Bible calls sin is still sin today. Amen? If the Bible calls it sin, it's still sin. It hadn't changed because culture changes. It's still sin today. Amen? But but actually, the, the writer, it looks like he's probably referring to, because he just finished talking about faith, was the sin of unbelief. 
That was one of the things he's probably specifying here was the sin of unbelief. And remember, it was unbelief that kept Israel out of the promised land. And it was unbelief that hinders us from entering into our spiritual inheritance in Christ. And so so the phrase by faith is used 21 times in Hebrews 11 that we looked at last week, indicating that it is faith in Christ that enables us to endure. Amen? One of the greatest divine resources to endure in this life and to be, again, not just endure and barely make it over the finish line, but to be victorious is our faith. It goes back to our faith in Christ. So whether it's unbelief or any other sin in our life, we must get rid of it. Don't justify it, by the way. Come on, let's stop justifying sin. The Bible says get rid of it. It says to run from it. We were fellowshipping with some brothers and sisters yesterday and I had a brother tell me that about just different, you know, just uh, temptations. And he said, man, I put up walls and I run. I don't try to even, I'm like, amen. That's what the Bible says to do. Study the life of Joseph. He ran. He didn't play with it. He didn't try to think it about. He didn't theologically look how this can fit in God. No, he ran. We need to get rid of sin and we need to run from sin. Amen. And if we do this, if we don't do this, if we have unbelief or any kind of sin or any weight, we'll not be able to endure the trials of life or the attack of the enemy. Because some trials of life are the attack of the enemy. Not all of them, though, which I'll show you in a, in a bit. So secondly, we not only look to the winners, but most importantly, what does the Bible tell us? Look to and trust in Jesus Christ. Keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's read it again. Hebrews 12, 2 and 4. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion, I love that. He uses the illustration of a runner. He's the ultimate undefeated champion, amen? Defeated death, hell, and the grave, who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured by sinful people. Remember, he's encouraging us to endure. Not only focus on Jesus, but think about him. He's the ultimate example. Then you won't become weary and give up. And after all, you have not given your lives against the struggle of sin. That phrase, looking to Jesus, actually means to trust in Jesus. Yes, we look to him in prayer through his word, but it, but it brings with it the meaning to look to and trust Jesus. Think about this. When snakes bit the Israelites in Numbers 21 and the dying Jews looked up at the serpent on the pole, they were healed. See, some of you have maybe never read that. If you didn't read the Old Testament, go read the book of Numbers. You'll read that. And then Jesus himself references this. This is an illustration of salvation through faith in Christ. Jesus in John 13, 14, and 15, he references this. Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the desert on a pole, so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. He's specifically speaking of eternal life, salvation right there. But we look to Jesus and the writer of Hebrews is telling us not just for salvation, but for the rest of our life. We look on to Jesus. We trust in Jesus with, with every part of our lives. Keeping our eyes on Jesus describes an attitude of faith. Again, this, this runs together, right? And that's what's good about going through the whole book of Hebrews is that, you know, sometimes we stop at a chapter and it's like, okay, we're beginning a new chapter and a new subject, but it all runs together. Looking to Jesus in trust is an attitude of faith. Amen? It's not just a once in a while thing. Oh, yeah, I'm going to look to Jesus when I need him. That's how some people do. But it's an attitude of faith each and every day. See, the Lord endured far more than any of the heroes of faith, faith named in Hebrews 11. So he's our perfect example, right? He endured the cross. We know that. 
mainly. He endured the cross. This involved shame, suffering, opposition from people, sinners, even temporary rejection from the Father. The Bible says he turned his face away. See, crucifixion was the most shameful form of execution at that time and was meant to humiliate and torture the person being crucified. It was used only for slaves and criminals and, were, and those who were not Roman citizens. On the cross, more, more powerful than anything else that he endured is he carried the weight of sin for all mankind upon him. It was the physical, but also we cannot wrap our brains around carrying. It's hard for us to carry our own sin. Come on, somebody. Right? What, did, what, did, what David said, when I hid my sin, my body wasted away. Right? Sin is heavy on you, your own sin from your own choice. He carried the weight of the sin of mankind on his shoulders. But he endured and he finished the work the Father gave him. And what enabled him on the cross was the joy that was set before him. Now, the joy set before him, we know it was us, but it would include Jesus' completing the Father's will, his resurrection and exaltation, and his joy in presenting us as believers to the Father in glory, which he will do one day. I just talked about, as I joked about, you know, the different fans, right? We're in a sanctification process right now, but one day we will be glorified. Amen. He'll be able to present to the Father his beautiful bride and present. And that's the joy that said before him. Yes, that we have relationship with him now, but that we'll be with him for all eternity. Come on, somebody. That's great. That's beyond good news. That's great news this morning. Amen. Next, we think about, we're told to think about the hostility Jesus endured. The recipients of this letter, again, were becoming weary. We talked about it. That was the whole setting of this and wanted to give up. They were fatigued because of persecution at the time they were facing. And the key to their endurance was to focus on Jesus, who had been through way worse. It's still our key today, to focus on trust in the Lord for our endurance, right? See, these readers of, he said, you've not suffered or given your life. They had suffered persecution, but none of them had been martyred yet at the time of this writing. Throughout Hebrews, the writer emphasized the importance of the future hope that we have. His readers were prone to look back. Remember, the temple was still standing. Everything was still in operation. They wanted to go back. But he encouraged them to look at Jesus' example and to look ahead in faith. The heroes of the faith named in chapter 11 lived for the future, and it enabled them to endure. See, when we look upon Jesus, it helps us to endure. When we look in faith, you know, it helps us to endure. Those are, those are the great examples. When we look at our buddy Peter in Matthew 14, he left his eye, kept his eyes on Jesus. Jesus said to come and walk on the water. As Jesus is walking on the water, Peter goes out. He says, come. He starts walking on the water, and he walked on the water miraculously when he kept his eyes on Jesus. But what happened? As soon as he looked at the winds and the waves, he began to sink, right? What a great illustration as we conclude this point is that we got to keep our eyes on the Lord. When you start looking at your problems, your issues, the winds, the waves, and the mountains, you begin to sink too. Good news is Jesus came and pulled him out before he even got too far. Amen? But come on, let's not begin to sink. Let's continue to keep our eyes on Jesus moving forward. Amen? Since Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith, trusting him releases his power in our lives and enables us to run our race with endurance. Amen? So first, he encourages us as believers to, to, to look at the examples of endurance, uh, the hall of faith, these men and women, Jesus. And secondly, second thing I want to show you this morning is the, the assurance of God's love. He wanted them to endure. To be, he wanted to assure them of God's love, and here's why. 
Hebrews 12, 5 and 13. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? I love this because he starts out about encouragement. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure his divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who has never been disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you're illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of our father, of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers discipline us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable when it is happening. It is painful. Amen. Can I get amen? But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living of those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but be strong. I thought about that. He starts out with the word, let me encourage you. What if we told our children, hey, let me encourage you. You're about to get a spanking. I want to, I want to encourage you. You're about to get disciplined, okay? I got an encouraging word for you. They'd be looking at you like, wait, what? That's not encouraging at all, right? But that's how he starts out, but he weaves in how many times you see the word discipline there. But the key word is discipline. It's the Greek word that means child training or instruction. And yes, it does carry the, the word discipline as we know it, right? The writer viewed some of the trials in our lives as could be spiritual discipline to help a believer mature. It's all right, I brought my own amen for this second point. Some people try to blame the devil for everything and maybe the Lord trying to correct you. Instead of trying to escape the difficulties of life, we should rather, rather use them and be trained by them that we may grow. When we go through difficult trials, it's easy to think that God doesn't love us. But man, he hammers it in this passage of scripture that actually discipline is the proof that God loves us. The father's heart that he loves us, right? And he says that in verses 5 and 6. In verses 5 and 6 is a quote from Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. This is a scripture that, that his readers would have known. But they have obviously forgotten. See, this, this quotation is another exhortation, right? Uh, literally an encouragement to them. But because they forgot the word that they had read in Proverbs, they lost their encouragement and they were ready to give up. You remember this whole section is about enduring, right? They were ready to give up because he was saying, hey, some of you are being disciplined by the Lord and now you're, you're ready to give up. But it's because the Lord loves you that he disciplines you, right? The key Words in this quote is son, our children, our sons. These words are used six times in Hebrews 12, 5, and 8, and they refer to adult sons, adult, not little children. They say sons, but it means sons and daughters, not, not little children, right? A parent who would discipline uh, an, an infant uh, would be considered a monster, right? So no, but he's talking about uh, God's dealing with us as adults because we have been adopted or grafted in, and we have an adult standing in his family, right? Remember? We, we, we are in perfect standing with Christ. That means we're perfect. It means we're in right standing. We're in perfect standing with him. See, the fact that the Father disciplined us is proof that we are maturing, and it's a way we can mature even more. You could be disciplined by the Lord through his word or maybe through others, maybe leaders in your life, pastors, spiritual, or through trials of life, and you can complain about it. You can keep 
hoping that it never happens. And look, I'm not saying I got this lick. I'm preaching to myself. Or you could use these trials and this discipline to say, how can I grow through this? How can I grow? Discipline is the evidence of God's love. Satan wants us to believe that the difficulties of life are proof that God does not love us, but the Bible says the opposite is even true. It's actually true. Sometimes God's discipline is seen as his rebuke from the word or from circumstances. Or again, from a, a word being preached, our life group leader. That's why people are like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to preach on sin because I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to hurt people. I want them to know that they love. Well, the Bible says, if I love you, I'll tell you the truth. If a father truly loves you, he would, I remember and I hated it. My dad used to spank me and every time he'd spank me, he'd say, now come give me a hug. That's the last thing you want to do is hug your dad after he just wore you out, you know? But he was doing that to show you and he would tell me, son, I love you. I know you don't know it right now, but I love you. And he would do it every time. And I look back on that, it's like, man, and I know he did. And sometimes I always love those gracious moments where I was one of those kids that if I knew I was getting spanked, I would cry before I even started. Before I even swung the bed, I was crying already. I was one of those, right? And sometimes I was already crying and he would act like he was going to spank me and then he would just kind of tap me on my backside. He said, now get up and give me a hug. And I, that's the times I wanted to hug him. I'd hug his neck big time in that moment, you know, like, thank you, daddy. I love you too, right? But it showed that he loved me. And I'm going to show you in a minute. You don't really realize it as a child until you mature and you get older and you realize, oh, okay, now I see why my dad was disciplining me. Now I understand as I become an adult and see what's going on. See, the father doesn't want us to be pampered babies. He wants us to become mature adults, mature adult sons and daughters who can be trusted with the responsibilities of our purpose and develop Christ-like character. That's why, as we talked about early in Hebrews, he said, you shouldn't just be drinking milk anymore. You should be eating meat. That just re that refers back to this. It all goes together, right? He don't want us to be pampered babies. We need to be mature adults. And the only way you're going to grow is sometimes when you're disciplined, right? Amen. He goes on to say in, in verses 7 through 10 is that our fathers disciplined us the best way that they knew how. Again, even like my dad, we, we, all of us that had fathers that disciplined us, you know, obviously they didn't get it right. They might have got a little angry or did too much to, you know, whatever the case may be. They didn't always hit it because they're not perfect. He said they did the best they knew how. We respect them for it. And so we, we should, you know, we should take that discipline from the Lord. Let's just go back to fatherly discipline. Fathers from Greco-Roman as well as Jewish families were involved in day-to-day -day aspects of raising their children. That's why he's writing this. Uh, he's using this example. Discipline back then was seen as necessary, healthy, and important, an important component of preparing a child for adulthood. Listen to me, church. It's still the same today. Let me make it clear. It's the difference between spanking your kid and beating your kid. I'm not talking about violence. I'm not talking about abuse. But a little correction to the backside is healthy for a child. Amen? You're going you're gonna to hear, the more you watch and the more you hear stuff online or from psychologists and all the people that are not biblically sound, they're going to say, oh, no, that's going to mess up your kids. Don't do that. That's the same kids that are throwing a temper tantrum in the, uh, in the grocery store when they don't get what they want. Okay, let me get off of that now. My dad used to tell me when he would see that, he said, you see that right there? If you ever do that, he said, I'm going to spank your butt. And I'm like, yes, sir, I got it. Noted. I'm like, I'm not doing that. And, right? And it worked, right? 
And here's the deal about this one. Let me just, I wasn't going to get into a parenting teaching here, but let me just say this. And I've just seen it again in a healthy, loving way. If you discipline, even physical discipline, like spanking your kids, and I get it, it's not, you don't have to use spanking every time. I'm just saying. Punishments and all that, especially nowadays, but all these screens, you take your child's phone or screen, is going to be worse than a, than a spanking nowadays. Amen? But, but what happens, if you stay consistent with any form of discipline, it could be spanking or punishment. What we notice, if you stay consistent with this form of, of discipline, you get to a point in life where you just say, hey, do you want a spanking? And they'll say, no, sir. Okay, well, then stop. Boundaries and consequences. Again, going back to the kids in the store you've seen, people will say, hey, if you don't stop that, I'm going to spank you. If you don't stop that, I'm going to, one, two, and all this kind of stuff. And the kid never does it. Why? Because they know there's no follow-up. People think, man, I want to spank my kids the rest of my life. You won't have to. If there's a season of consistent discipline, you won't have to. They'll know that the discipline's coming. And if you do it right, they'll know that you love them. Amen? So, again, I, I didn't even mean to get off on that, but let me just encourage you with that. I know for us, like even the way I grew up and even the way we tried to raise our children, listen, you mean, it might be debatable. I don't feel like I'm messed up, okay? That might be a debatable thing. You might say, well, Brandon, you are a little off, you know? That, that could be... I don't feel like I'm a messed up, you know, individual psychologically or emotionally or any of that, right? Because again, the best he knew how, my mom and dad both disciplined me, but I knew they loved me. I knew they were trying to help me, right? See, as I just mentioned, if a child left alone, they become selfish tyrants. You see kids running households. You see kids running, running, you know, right? So the point the writer made here is that the father it's disciplined only his children. It's proof that it's his children. See, we may feel like we may want to spank our neighbor's kids, and they probably want to spank ours, but we can't, right? Because they're not our children. The reason that you're able to spank, discipline, punish whatever your child is because they're your children. So when you're being disciplined, it's proof that we're the Lord's kids. See, a lack of fatherly discipline is a mark of illegitimacy. Why do earthly fathers correct their children, one, so that, that their offspring will learn to be obedient to their guidelines? And so also, number two, they'll be productive citizens. This is why the Heavenly Father corrects us. He wants us to surrender to Him and obey His will so we can become mature, useful, productive citizens of His kingdom. Amen? Come on, that should be encouraging to you right there. And we see this now in the chapter 12. It relates to the five exhortation of Hebrews, right? See, as Christians drift from the word and backslide, the father disciplines them to bring them back in a place of surrender and obedience. Discipline is for their benefit, right? Just like disciplining a child, let's even use spanking a child, a little child that's about to put his hand on the stove or in an electrical outlet, right? You may pop their hand. They don't know it. They'll cry. They'll look at you with the big eyes and the, you know, the boudet face and all that. And they're like, you know, but you're, they don't know they're about to burn their hand. They don't know they're about to electrocute themselves. As adult sons and daughters, there's things we want to do that we don't know we're about to harm ourselves. Or it could be detrimental to our lives and our, 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 our families and our children. And the Lord may have to discipline us, right? So let's look at the results of divine discipline as we wrap it up. Verse 11 says, no discipline is joyable while it's happening. It's painful, but afterwards there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. See, no discipline as the time is pleasant for the child or the father. I'm sure you, I, or your children never believed when your parents said, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. How many of you believed your parents when they said that? Nobody, right? How many of you kids believed that when you told them that? 
They didn't believe you either, right? They're like, no, you're not the one. But it's true, right? I didn't realize it when my dad told me that until I became a dad. And it's even more so. It's funny. When I, when I would spank our kids, it was not a big deal. When I hear my wife spanking my girls, I'm like, ooh, baby, you be a little more soft on them. You're being, I don't know what it is. It's about when somebody else's is like, ooh, you know, you know. But it's true that the father does not enjoy having to discipline his children, but the benefits afterwards makes the discipline again worth it. I go back to not only discipline, but, 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 but training in my life. I've, I've shared this story before, you know, and I hated this too. When my brother and I stayed home in the summertime, you know, we were still, you know, elementary, middle school. Uh, every single morning when we got up, my mom and dad would go off to work. Every, I'm, when I say every morning, I mean every morning. Every morning we woke up, there was a note from my dad, and it always said, like, good morning. He'd put, like, smiley faces on it. And then here came this line every time. Before you leave the house to go play in the neighborhood with the kids, and there was a list of chores to do. Every day. Every day. And I absolutely hated it. Because my friends were already going ride bikes, going play baseball, going play football. And I got to be like vacuuming the carpet or raking the leaves or cutting the grass or doing something. And he owned his own business. So when he said before you leave the house, don't try to sneak out and go ride your bike and think that he ain't good. Because he could come home at 1130 and catch you, right? So we learned that. But this is the deal. I, I couldn't stand that as a child. As I became an adult and got into the workforce, begin to see like friends my age, they couldn't keep a job. Couldn't make it for 40 hours a week. Didn't know how to handle responsibility. I looked back and said, oh, wow. What a blessing. What a blessing that I, I had to do my chores before I left the house every day. Both my dad's discipline and mom and their training prepared me for adulthood. Amen? The Lord's doing the same thing with us, church. His discipline, his rebukes, you know, even some trials of life could be that as well, Right? What does he say some of the benefits are? The, the fruit of, of right living. Righteousness is what that means. Instead of continuing to sin, like a child will, will strive to do better when he's disciplined. Instead of peace, I mean, there'll be peace instead of war. Rebellion stops, and the child is in a loving relationship with his father. See, discipline also encourages us, again, uh, to exercise the, the regular spiritual habits we should have to grow, like worship, the word, prayer, witnessing, those kind of things. And of course, the most important thing as we close is how we respond to God's discipline. Because not everybody that's disciplined as a child responds the right way. How are you going to respond to the Lord's discipline? We see the motivation is love. And I get it. Some of you might be sitting here like, well, my, my dad's motivation wasn't love. And it might have not been. If that's your case, I'm sorry. It breaks my heart for you. A lot of our parents' was. I know for a fact our Heavenly Father's motivation is love. Because the Bible tells us so. Amen. And we see it. I see it in my own life. Right. And again, the times he used my spiritual father, Pastor Todd, to correct me and discipline me. It still didn't feel good. I didn't like making mistakes. I didn't like letting him down. But it helped me to continue to grow not only in my life, in my family, as a husband, a father, but also as a pastor. Amen. It doesn't feel good at the time, but I appreciate it. And even for him, I know every time Pastor Todd corrected me, it was out of love. He took the time to sit me down and say, hey, this is where you're going wrong here. And it, it, here's how you, how you can straighten this up. Our Heavenly Father is the same way. But how will you respond? Will you despise it? Will you give up? Both of them are wrong. We should reverence the Father and submit to his word and to his will. 
That's how you respond. When you read something in the Word that you see in your life that could be a weight, could be sin, or maybe someone you trust, and I get it, not everybody just comes and says, hey, I got a word for you. Someone you trust, one of the pastors here, maybe a life group leader, maybe a brother. It don't have to be somebody, authority figure. As iron sharpens iron, the Bible says in, in Proverbs 27, right? Could be someone that could tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, man, this is off in your life, or this might be okay and good with you, but it's hindering you. I think you could flourish if you would, I think you could thrive, right, baby? If you take this off of you. Man, don't look at it like, oh, this, this brother's trying to get all in my business. Why don't you say, hey, maybe the Lord's trying to discipline me. That's how you respond to it, amen? Maybe the Lord's trying to correct me in this area. But that takes humility, church. It takes humility. Again, we start with the word first and foremost. And again, you could know if somebody loves you, someone that truly loves you and has that place in your life, and they're coming from a place of Scripture. It may just be that the Lord wants to discipline you because he wants you to flourish and wants you to endure what you're going through. I, I just had this thought. Some of you have been enduring and been going through some of the trials of your life. And I'm not talking about sicknesses and stuff, none of that. But maybe circumstances that you keep knocking your head against the wall. Maybe the Lord's trying to discipline you and it's time for you to surrender to his will. Maybe that trial don't have to keep going if you would learn the lesson from the discipline the Lord's showing you. Amen. I want to close what is, uh, well, let me f finish the last two verses, 12 and 13. I hope this encourages you. Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Basically, look, you may be weary. You may be tired. That's where they were. Mark out a straight path for your feet so those who are weak and lame will not fail but become strong. The author is alluding to Isaiah 35, 3 and 8 and also Proverbs 4, 26 as he encourages the Hebrew Christians who are emotionally and spiritually exhausted. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're one of those or both. According to Isaiah 35, God is in the process of defeating his enemies and making a straight path for the righteous so we will not fall. Amen? So he ends this discipline thing like, hey, listen, I'm saying all this to encourage you. It's an encouragement to endure. Come on, strengthen yourself. He, not really yourself. Come on, we find strength in the Lord, right? I prayed that, those two scriptures this morning. Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing, but I thank you I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, Right? He can strengthen us to walk through even the discipline he gives us. That's what's awesome about the Lord. He'll discipline us and then give us the grace to walk through it in the trials or whatever it may be. So I hope this encourages you today. The example of God's son and the assurance of God's love should encourage us to endure in this Christian life no matter what it is. One more scripture and we're going to pray. John 3, 14 and 15. I want to read it again. Jesus said, just as Moses was lifted up, on the bronze, uh, Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the desert on a pole. So must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Remember that word looks in Hebrews and, 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 and even here, right? It's, it's the same word, believes or trust. Look to Jesus means to trust in Jesus. This whole message has been about enduring in, in your trials and, and enduring in life and maybe the Lord's discipline by trusting in Jesus. But it starts with, by trusting him for the first time, believing on him to be saved. Amen. Would you bow your head with me just out of reverence for the Lord and respect for others? Let's start there. Have you looked on to Jesus for salvation, for eternal life? Right? You remember, we're going to get into next week the citizenship of heaven. Not everybody's going to be a citizen of heaven. That's another lie of the enemy and a misconception today is that because God so loved the world, and he did, he sent his only son. That goes on in the next, very next verse after this, this is that he sent his only son 
And whoever would believe in him, that word means to trust, would not perish but have everlasting life. God does love everyone, and he's made a provision for everyone to be saved. But that doesn't mean that everyone's going to be in heaven. As a matter of fact, the Bible makes it clear, not everybody will be citizens of heaven. Not everybody is a citizen of heaven right now. Maybe even sitting in this building or watching online. If you say, Brandon, man, I, I, you know what? I don't know if I've ever actually trusted Christ, believed in the Lord, and asked him to save me. I thought just going to church, you know, and, and doing good things would get me there. If that's you and you say, man, I'm not sure where I would spend my eternity, but Brandon, today I want to be sure. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. We talked about sin. The Bible says you must repent of your sin and turn to Christ. If that's you, say, Brandon, I need to get right with the Lord. I need, to, I need to be saved. I need to repent today. If that's you, just lift up your hands. Say, that's me. That's me. Even watching at home, I see your hand over here. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Even if you're watching at home, I can't see your hand, but most importantly, the Lord can. Over here, ma'am, more hands going up. Thank you. Thank you. Over here, young lady. Over here, praise God. More importantly than your hand is, is the Lord wants your surrender. He wants your heart. He wants you to turn to him. Again, this word means to trust. So it's not the prayer we're about to pray that saves you. It's your faith, according to, to the scripture, is by grace through faith that we are saved. Can we all pray this together? Those of you that raised your hands and us as a family, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying in my place. Lord, I know that I've sinned. I repent of my sin. I turn to you today and I surrender my life. All right, would you give me the grace to live for you, to glorify you, and to endure both the trials and the discipline that you bring each and every day, that I may mature in the faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord glory, amen. Yes, amen. Come on, if you, you, you made a decision to, to, to follow Christ, to surrender to Christ, Fill out the connection card in the chair. Bring it to the info center. If you're watching online, click the connection card link. Hey, would you stand up with me? Can I get, can I get the, uh, the pastors and the altar workers to come up right now, please? As I, as I just read that line off of my notes, uh, some of you may be emotionally, spiritually, maybe even mentally exhausted. Can I get the, let me get the team to come down here. And before we leave, if that's you, if you say, man, Brian, I'm just exhausted in, in, different, in different aspects of my life. And maybe you're having a hard time enduring. Listen, we look to others. We focus on, on the, 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 those of the faith and the word around us. as most importantly, Jesus. But hey, get somebody to come stand with you. Even right now, you can make your way to the altar right now as we close. Let somebody pray with you before you leave. Come on, don't, don't run this race alone. Come on, amen? Come on, we ought to run this race together, saints, amen? Like I said, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man or a brother sharpens another brother. Let a brother or sister stand with you and pray with you. Amen. Come on, let me bless you as you go. And also, we're having a baptism at the second service. Fifteen people are signed up to get water baptized. Come on, somebody. Amen. It'll be like after the, the first or second song. I'd love if you would want to grab another cup of coffee. Just stay another 30 minutes and support your brothers and sisters. We'd love for you to do that. But let me pray over you. Father, I thank you, Lord for endurance. I thank you for the, the divine resources you've given us to endure by looking upon the, 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 those of the faith, both in past and current, and most importantly, fixing our eyes on you, King Jesus, trusting in you, for you endured it all, and you give us the grace, the power, and the strength to endure. So for those that are at the altar right now, and those that may be watching at home, that Lord God, feel exhausted, refresh them, encourage them, pour out your spirit 
upon them in a great mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you. You have a great day. Have an awesome week. We'll see you soon.